either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. And we are back. I hope we remember what to do here. <laughs> it's been a couple of weeks. We're back. For the Screening Room Podcast. We had to go away and make our own movie, but but more about that. For right now, let's talk about what's new in the theaters and in streaming. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. Let's start with a follow-up to the 2019 feature film in which the Crawley family and Downton staff received a royal visit from the King and Queen of Great Britain. Now there's more fun going on with Downton Abbey, A New Era. Mr. Barber is a producer and director. He wants to make a film at Downton. A moving picture at Downton. Oh my goodness. Who is she? The Lady Grantham I first went to work for. Granny. Why did you invite us here? Well, with that, I will say goodnight and leave you to discuss my mysterious past. It seems the public only want films that talk. I should have thought the best thing about films is that you can't hear them. It'd be even better if you couldn't see them either. <laughs> this is part of a theme I think we've got this week and next week, too. Movies that came from TV shows that we didn't watch. <laughs> <laughs> watch the movie version, but not the TV show. But this show obviously has a lot of built-in fans. And I have to respect it, I think, because even from the very beginning... They did really what they should do. They're super serving their core fans, and I respect them for that. Yeah, they are. I saw the first film. I re- or I didn't review the first film, actually. Christy Robb did because she loves Downton Abbey, mm-hmm. but uh, I saw it so that we could talk about it, and, uh, and I think that that is absolutely true of both of these films. They understand who their audience is, and they really, not just the filmmakers, but the actors as well. I mean, it's an exploration of... What next? What happened next after the show ended? And it picks up where the last one left off. But it's interesting because it takes half of the family out of England. They go to uh, the south of France because the matriarch, played by Maggie Smith, droll perfection as always, she's inherited a villa. Could it be for scandalous reasons? <laughs> Ribaldry. Ribaldry. And so she doesn't go because she is very aged. So she stays back at Downton with Lady Mary, who has agreed to let a movie producer make a film inside of Downton. Why would she do such a thing, George? The king and queen of England have, have I know. eaten at that table. Very improper. Well, it's because they have to fix the roof. The whole thing is so funny to me is that the family always seems simultaneously cash-strapped and the richest people on the planet. <laughs> I never understand it. You can't fix your roof, but you can take 19 people, including two servants, with you to France. I don't understand. <laughs> but I don't understand rich people. So whatever. The thing is, the actors in this ensemble, and it is a big ensemble. Oh, they're yeah. great, and yeah. they always happen. Sure. I mean, they're just really, really good actors. And they've they've grown to know these characters so well over the years and this, these films, I think, have given the actors the chance to just round them out a little bit, you know, kind of grow into them a little bit. Maggie Smith, of course, just brilliant, as she always is. I could have used a little more Maggie, I'll tell you the truth. But it's an interesting movie. It's breezy and droll. It's, you know, it's a soap opera, essentially, but it's elevated by these great performances 
this gorgeous cinematography, these incredible, exquisite costumes. It's, you know, it's a nice way to spend a couple of hours. Yeah, the director is Simon Curtis, the writer, Julian Fellows. He goes all the way back to the original TV show. So, And, and people ask, as they did this morning on our TV gig, can someone just come in and, and, and follow what's going on? Well, the answer is yes, you can follow the plot, but you just won't have the investment in the characters, and that's what these filmmakers are counting on, and that's what uh, we mean when we say they are super serving them, because this is for the fans. I'm sure if you want to come on board now, they're they're glad to have you, but they're counting on the investment you already have in these characters and then building upon it. Yeah, I'm not sure how many people chose not to watch the show for its six-year run or whatever it was, and then now are like, hey, yeah. I need to get to know the right. Downton Abbey group. However... I followed it, and I've never seen sure. the show. So yeah. it's not as if you don't understand it, exactly. but you just don't have that kind of investment in these characters and their backstory. Right, but if you do, and if you're a big fan already, well, then yeah, you probably already know you're going to see this movie, no matter what we say. <laughs> <laughs> and you're probably going to enjoy it. And uh, you can find that in all the uh, theaters this weekend. Downton Abbey, A New Era. <laughs> Next in theaters is one we've been looking forward to. A young woman goes on a solo vacation to the English countryside following the death of her ex-husband, this is called Men. A man followed me out of the woods. He was stalking me. What makes you say that? I saw him twice. Twice? I don't know if he saw you once. Well, play a game. You hide, I'll see. You must feel an awful sense of Stay away from me. What are you doing? What are you? This is from writer-director Alex Garland. Uh, he did Never Let Me Go, very good. He did Ex Machina, which we love. So he's a guy that we... Annihilation. And Annihilation. How do I forget that and that bear thing? So anything he does, we're interested in. <laughs> yes. And this one looked very, very cool and creepy from the trailer, and it did not disappoint. This is really effective. He also, by the way, wrote 28 Days Later. So That's this guy, right. he's yeah. never done anything that right. wasn't brilliant. Exactly. And this is brilliant. It's going to be polarizing, I think, because it embraces ambiguity. It's a little bit more of a fantasy, a little bit more of a head scratcher than his other films, including Annihilation. And it doesn't spoon feed you and as you said it, it is a is it an extended metaphor it's right. also stunning to look at it really is and it's an interesting extended metaphor once you get into it to be written and directed by a man mm -hmm. from a man's point of view that makes it even more of a conversation starter because it centers around this woman played by jesse buckley and always she, wonderful and she's just fantastic in this movie and she has lost her husband in a very, very traumatic way. And that's all we'll say about that. And so she retreats to this expansive English country manner to just sort through some feelings and, and have some downtime. And from the minute that she checks in to the, the guy who runs the place, she just her her space is is occupied and invaded by the succession of men, which. Okay, that's one thing. But the other thing is, as as we, the audience, see these men, 
even if you didn't know beforehand, you realize, wait a minute, that's all the same face. The men are all either played by Rory Kinnear or his face has been superimposed on on other actors. Yeah. So it's always his face. And yeah. one of the most, and that's fascinating it in is. and of itself. And it makes for a clear potential metaphor, which is all men are the same. But that's a very shallow read of this film to start with. But the other thing that's very interesting to me about this fact is that Harper, the character, uh, Jesse Buckley's character, never seems to notice that. She never mentions it. It doesn't come up. So I think right away you're starting to realize, first first of all, that it's clearly a fantasy. The film is a, is a horror fantasy kind of a thing. But the other thing that, that Garland does is little by little he unveils more about the trauma, more about why she's here. Right. And the film kind of shapeshifts every time you learn a little bit more about what happened until eventually, by midway, it's a full-blown, simple fantasy. It's not, there's, it's, there's no um, straight-up reality to the film itself, which makes the ending very peculiar. And I think the ending is not going to satisfy some people. I think you really have to be able to get comfortable with it, comfortable with ambiguity to appreciate the ending of the film. Mm-hmm. I don't think I loved the ending, but I liked it. But I loved the rest of the movie. I think it looks unbelievable. It sounds unbelievable. The performances are great. It's very, very clever. It is spooky as hell. I loved it. Yeah, it's very creepy as it starts drifting into quote-unquote horror territory. I mean, don't expect a slasher movie or anything. But it is very, very creepy and atmospheric. And, and yeah, th- I think the, the mistake is in stopping right when you realize the metaphor of, of all these men looking the same. That, that's, that's not all it's saying here. And, and you're right. It leaves a lot of ambiguity toward the end, which, which bothered me a little bit. But then I thought about it more. It's, it's a movie that you kind of have to live with you really for do. a little while. Think about it the next day and, uh, and maybe even... I could definitely be be up for seeing it again. Oh, for sure. Uh, One of the things I think about uh, when I get to the ending is that I, I, I feel like the film is not really about men at all. It is really about Harper and what's going on inside her head and how she's addressing all of the many small traumas mm-hmm. that have brought her here. Yeah, and that's what I mean when I say don't, don't stop at thinking like, okay— all these characters that are essentially the same man, the same actor, they look the same. It can be making a statement about what women have to navigate through in their sure. lives from men every day. But don't stop there. Right. Yeah, that's, that's what, it. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's a very saying. superficial read, I think, of right. the film. It's saying more than that. It is. Um, and, and we don't want to say too much ourselves right. because we don't want to spoil anything. But we really liked it. Always like anything from Alex Garland. And this is definitely one that will... It's a conversation starter, as we For said. Sure. But, and that's not a bad thing, because I'm sure, as a filmmaker, he is very open to different people taking different things from it. I think that's pretty clear when you have an ending like that. So, sure. So see it and take what you will from it and discuss and, and let us know, by all means. But we recommend it. That is called Men, and it's in theaters now. Boy, next up is one that really, really surprised us. We didn't see this coming. This is on Disney+. Plus. 30 years after their popular television show ended, Chipmunks Chip and Dale live very different lives. When a cast member from the original series mysteriously disappears, the pair must reunite to save their friend. This is Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. Is it possible that two living legends are destined to reunite? I'm thinking reboot. Nobody wants a reboot. 
the Rangers. You need a disguise or something. Grab the first thing you can. Rescue Rangers 2.0. This place looks weird. Remember that animation style where everything looked real, but nothing looked right? Who are you? Are you talking to us? Obviously. But it looks like you're talking to that window. It actually looks like I'm looking right at you. Chip and Dale. Yeah, that song's going to be in my head. Well, the you laughed today. at me when we were watching this, and I said, Was that a real show? <laughs> As you're laughing now, I didn't know that. I missed that. So, okay. But here's the thing. If you're expecting, as I was, just a kid's movie, no. No. This is aimed at the kid's parents who grew up on this show. That's where the humor is. And it's pretty darn clever, and it's pretty funny. It is pretty funny. And one of the reasons that it is is because there are so many Saturday Night Live alums involved in the cast and and uh, the the crew and and the writing and the direction and the lonely and, island guys the, the involved too island at guys, least a couple yeah. of them yep. andy samberg yeah. is one of the voices and the other is john, john mulaney. mulaney yeah they're chip and dale but yeah you've got a lot of these uh, saturday night live and uh, lonely island another tv show that's uh, working behind the scenes and you've got a cast of this is a mix of both live action and animation so you're going to see a lot of familiar faces, Seth Rogen, Paul Rudd. Uh, <laughs> you're going to hear a lot of familiar voices, too, in the cast. Uh, you've got um, Eric Bana. You've got um, J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons, Will Arnett, just over and over and over again. And they're just having a ball doing it. And what it really does, I think, is what both of, and I don't want to get off on a tangent here about the Space Jam movies, but sort of what the Space Jam movies were trying to do, and it's better than both of them Yes, in doing it. Right, well, because it, as you said earlier, it is lampooning and celebrating yeah. the same things at the same time. Yeah, just the intellectual properties that are everywhere and, and the mashups, it's making fun of that. It's making fun of these, these quote-unquote, has-been uh, people from these shows still being rebooted and reconnected and going to these uh, conventions over and over, but at the same time, you get the feeling that, no, we love this, too. We right. love it, yeah. and we want to just bask in it and celebrate it. So it's a funny vibe to get into, but they do it, and they do it really well. And I know not everybody, I'm thinking of our son, uh, appreciates Andy Samberg's humor, right? but I, he's goofy fun, I think. I, You know, the, he, there is something very good-natured about his, his yeah. particular brain of humor yeah. that I find hard to dislike. I agree with you. And there's a lot of wink-winks. There's a lot of pop culture nods if you've been paying attention to animation especially. And and just some of these franchises over the last decades. I still can't believe we're talking about something in the 90s was 30 years ago. But, yeah, check the calendar. It has been. But it's also funny, as you know, it's so, so narrowly aimed at the age group of people who watched this show when they were children. And to the degree that when they keep going to these cons, like these comic cons mm-hmm. with these, you know, booths of different people, the the characters, the cartoon characters who are in those are of the exact same. Like if you watched this show, you probably watched Scrooge McDuck. You probably watched Darkwing Duck. You yep. probably watched He-Man. He-Man and Skeletor have <laughs> a really funny little back and forth. Yeah. I mean, it's... It knows its audience. It really, really does. It really does. And there's just a, there's just a joy about it that even someone like me, who's a little older and who, who missed this show, I still appreciated the mood and what they were doing. 
Uh, and I really got a kick out of it, maybe more so because I wasn't expecting to. Absolutely. I thought this was just going to be a straight-up kids movie. Yeah. Uh, but I think maybe the kids might get bored by it, really. Because I think the same thing. It moves kind of slowly. The plot is a little bit complicated for children to follow. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. I mean, it's it's really made for adults. Yeah, it is. But I think you'll you'll get a kick out of it if you give it a chance. And if you have Disney+, Plus, why not? Give it a chance. <laughs> and, that, and that is Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Well, another surprising one is next. Ready for a night of legendary partying. Three college students must weigh the pros and cons of calling the police when faced with an unexpected situation. This is emergency. There's an unconscious white girl in our living room. What? Okay, she's, she's alive. We should call 911. Hey, stop! Are you crazy? We didn't do hey, anything hey, wrong. We don't have to do nothing wrong, Kool Night. The cops are not gonna listen. They just go come in here and see three brown guys hanging over this little white girl. Run, 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 down, down. Think about it statistically. How many people actually get shot by the cops? It's like really, really unlikely, right? No, what are you no, talking no. about? 911. This is in theaters now, but it is an Amazon Prime film, so it will be on Prime next week. Yeah, and this is uh, an expansion of a short from a few years ago from director Kerry Williams and writer K.D. Davila, who wrote, she was also the writer of the Oscar-nominated short film, Please Hold, right. which I love from so this year. So good. Oh, my. And this one sort of mines some of the same territory, anxiety over the, the current state of law enforcement, uh, for especially for uh, minorities and people of color. And and this is her first, I believe this is her first feature-length screenplay. Boy, and you wouldn't know it. She fleshes this out so well, as the, does the director, Kerry Williams. And it starts out, if you come in blind, it starts out with a pretty familiar formula. You think you know what's happening here. These two best friends, they've got a couple of months left until college, and they're probably going to go their separate ways. They haven't really admitted that to each other yet. Um, And they're ready for a legendary night of partying. They go to Buchanan College, and uh, apparently on that campus, there's these group of seven parties that make up the legendary party tour, and you have to get invited. And they want to be the first two black men to finish this legendary party tour. So they get the invites, but they get a complication in the form of one passed out underage white girl in their living room that they had nothing to do with. So Kunle, who's more of a very serious student, he's played by Donald Elise Watkins. He wants to call 911, but his friend Sean, played by R.J. Seiler, reminds him that black folks have been shot for much less than what it could appear is going on here. So they decide to try to get this woman to some help on their own. And that sets off a chain of events that includes the passed out girl's sister and a couple of her friends following along by tracking her phone. And it quickly becomes a lot more than the formula that you think that we've seen before, even though it still is funny. That's the weird thing, because as it gets more and more tense and and almost downright terrifying toward the end, it's still funny. And it's grounded in character-based humor because early on they established this friendship and these two characters uh, that you, you care about. So that's smart right off the bat. And so as things, as the pressure starts mounting on these two uh, guys, then you really feel the tension. And you really feel the fact that they could be in some serious danger even though they still manage to make it funny. It's really an incredible balancing act of tone. 
It really is. Yeah, you you can tell right from the trailer that that that's exactly what it is. And and I feel like um, the fact that it was written by a woman is is important mm-hmm. because obviously it is it is covering territory that is um, it's important that it's it's a story that's being told by filmmakers of color, incredibly important. But I also feel like because of uh, of the situation itself, the fact that a woman wrote it is also very important. And I think that she brings all of those things to bear in in doing what you're saying and balancing that tone. She's also clearly very funny. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing to do because we've all seen these partying movies. One last night of epic partying, things go crazy. But this this just throws a truth bomb into all of that. And it's just another example. I feel like we've said this about a few films here the last couple of years, that you can take a formula and twist it and suddenly you've got a, a brand new movie. And this is just sobering in the fact that even though... It's it starts out with that college party atmosphere and it still does manage to be funny. In the end, it's about how quickly the worldview of these guys can be changed forever. And the just the unyielding weight of having to navigate daily how the world sees them. Yeah. And it gets that point across in a, a amazingly. It's, it's amazingly well done film. And you still have to. Some so we'll put it in the comedy category, which seems crazy when you're talking about something of of this uh, magnitude. But it still is funny. You will laugh, and then as it goes toward final events, you're just you're just amazed that it reaches the depths that it does uh, from the formula that it starts out with. So really recommend this. Not only this movie, but then if you can go back and look up the short, please hold. Oh sure, uh, really do that because it was not Oscar nominated for a reason. And I'm not sure off the top of my head if it's out there for free online anywhere, but. It's really worth seeing. It's it's harrowing. I mean, it made me nervous. Yeah. <laughs> but it's but it's so good. And so is this. Once again, it's in theaters now, but will be on Prime starting next weekend. And it's called Emergency. Liked it. Let's do another thriller next from one of our favorites, Gaspar Noe, that scamp. Two actresses, Beatrice Dahl and Charlotte Gainsbourg, are on a film set telling stories about witches. But that's not all. This is also an essay on cinema, the love of film, and on-set hysterics. It's called Lux Eterna. <laughs> This is like Gaspar Noe in little appetizer form. Right. Because this is only about 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. So you've probably heard us talk about Gaspar Noe a lot, and he can be... A lot. He can uh, be a lot. <laughs> he throws a lot at you. And he does so here. But maybe if you want to just step into his world for a little bit and find out if maybe you'd like to do full feature length, this might be a good way to start. And it's even for him, it's even lighthearted, as as psychedelic as it gets, because it is very meta. I mean, Beatrice Dahl and Charlotte Gainsbourg, they play themselves. And they're working on this fictional movie called God's Work, where Beatrice Dahl is making her directing debut. And Charlotte is starring. And right away, there's just, well, first of all, Noe goes for split screen, almost this entire movie. And of course, being him, he doesn't care if that's hard to follow. In fact, he likes it that way. Yeah, if you're not familiar with the director's style, I mean, he just bombards the senses in every film that he makes. He really, it's really a sense overload any of his films are. And so I feel like 
since this one is half the length of most of his films, he had to double up by giving you two screens of sensory overload. Yeah, and it still gets a warning at the beginning for anybody who's sensitive to flashing lights because, man, does it give it to you. Uh, if you have that sensitivity, don't go anywhere near this because you've got the split screen and you've got the double up on the captions. Although there is some English language spoken in this, but it's mostly in French with subtitles. And just so much color and, as, as you mentioned, as he does, just sensory overload with pulsating rhythms and all those trademarks. But he's sort of, as it goes along, he's sort of winking at that. He knows that. And because it is so meta and you end up with a total breakdown on the set of this fictional movie as the actresses have talked about talked about the quote-unquote shit films that they've made and they laugh about things that happen in the movie business and the the producer is trying to get Beatrice Dahl fired and Charlotte Gainsbourg is trying to navigate a problem with her child uh, on the phone that, that's going on at the same time she's trying to fend off these advances from this wannabe filmmaker who wants her in his new movie at least to her face and then you know drags her uh, behind her back all that stuff all that chaos is just where you think he's saying this is where i live right <laughs> this is where my art comes from i love this and he in, in as nutty as it gets he just seems to be making a, a, a light-hearted comment about yeah if you have seen my films this this is me this is where i get inspiration for my for my art and that's clear because he intersperses all of this nuttiness with Clips and quotations from films and filmmakers that he admires, and you'll see these throughout the throughout the movie. So it's a yeah, it's a meditation on all of that on cinema, like the synopsis said, on on film and on productions, and and yeah, on witchcraft and and how <laughs> women have been persecuted throughout the centuries because the film they're making is about that too. So there's a lot going on uh, with Gaspar Noe. There usually is, but if you're ready for that sensory overload in bite-sized form, in 50-minute form. This might be a good entree into the uh, filmmaking stylings of Gaspar Noe, uh, but uh, but we liked it. I'm I'm always here's another one. I'm always down for whatever he's doing, always. Well, I um as a rule, w I am as well. But as a rule, I would only watch a Gaspar Noe film one time. Mm. I respect them, and it's not that I don't think that they're good. They're just they I find they're them exhausting yeah. and punishing. Punishing yeah. is how I find yeah. them. That's this good. one. Well, you know, less so. Mm -hmm. I feel like I could, you know, I could probably sit through this one a yeah. second time. It helps that the I love Beatrice Dahl and Charlie Gainsborough, and it is great to see the two of them really headlining something. Yeah, exactly right. And that is out in theaters now, Lux Eterna. And we'll round it out with another horror film, and this one's on VOD. Anybody that knows us knows how much we love the country music. So <laughs> this one follows a country music duo who seek out the private mansion of their idol and end up in a twisted series of horrors that force them to confront the limits they'd go for their dreams. It's called Torn Hearts. What if I told you I got Harper Dutch's address? Torn Hearts with Harper Dutch is a great idea. We're doing a song with Harper freaking Dutch! This is how we celebrate. This is weird. Pretty sure Harper killed Hope. Oh my God. This is my house. I will tear it to shreds to get to you too. The girls just came by for some free advice on a whim. Nothing's free in Nashville, is it? This is from filmmaker Brea Grant. 
She made a 12-hour shift a couple of years ago as a filmmaker. She's also starred in and written a bunch. I mean, Lucky. She did that yeah. one Lucky that I liked yeah. a couple of years yeah. ago. Um, she's just somebody that uh, she's one to watch. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this movie is, it's an interesting concept to me because there are so many, so many horror films that have to do with rock music. Heavy metal in particular, punk rock sometimes, but this is... This is the first one that I can think of, and I have seen them all, that is grounded in country music. And mm-hmm. I find that interesting because it seems like a good fit. Yeah. Country music is sometimes quite spooky. And as much as we don't care for country music, no. we like Katie Seagal. Oh, yes. And to have her as the, the matriarch here, and it's, it's, it's sort of sad that it's very coincidental, I guess, sadly coincidental, that with the passing of Naomi Judd, She's that's this character kind of reminded me of this long time. It's a family was a family act and she was the the older star of this act. It's kind of reminded me of the Judds before that tragedy happened. Yeah, I actually think that that was probably in a way what it was patterned after. She was part of the Duchess sisters and that was a duo that was very, very popular in the 90s. And then there was a tragedy struck and and uh, Harper Duchess, which is uh, Seagal's character, another Harper character, another yeah. Harper character, she became a bit of a recluse. And so you know, flash forward many years, and these two, the young upstarts, best friends, not sisters, who are in the band Torn Hearts, want to seek her out to to get her to record a song with them, thinking that that will put them on the map. And it is a bad decision to go visit Harper at home. So um, in in a lot of ways, the film is fairly traditional. Uh, The storyline itself is something that you probably are going to see a lot of it coming. What makes it a really interesting movie, first of all, so Brittany Allen, who's also an actress, she wrote all of the songs, the country songs, and Uh they're just spot on. I mean, they've got a very 90s, folky country influence. They're very catchy. So that's really done well. And the cinematography and Grant's direction are, they make the most of this house where Seagal's character lives. Right, yeah. And, and it keeps it very weird and um, and colorful and just visually appealing. And then Seagal, who's just, she yeah. just owns it. She sure. just owns every scene she's in. And she oscillates, her character oscillates from being sort of domineering, maybe a little bit sadistic, to being uh, vulnerable. I mean, she's just, it's a great performance, it's it's not a great movie, but it is a very entertaining movie. And this was the writer is Rachel Collar Croft, and this is her first feature. She's written in TV, I believe, before this. It's her first feature. And as we said before, Bria Grant has done some really solid, solid and interesting work. Yeah, absolutely. And in the cast, Blair Witch fans, Joshua Leonard shows up. He does. Up. He does. We're not gonna talk about how long he lasts, but he does show <laughs> up. <laughs> So that one is uh, on VOD. Yeah, VOD right now. Torn Hearts. So check that out. All right. So let's go to the lobby after a couple of weeks. See what's cooking. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. We are back, and so is the Schlocketeer back in the lobby to hip us to the latest news from the studios and release dates and changes. So what do we what, what do we miss in the last couple of weeks? What's going on? Uh, a lot, but we'll get to the upcoming stuff first here. Uh, Vertical Entertainment will unleash the world's latest slice of Gerard Butler exploitation, last <laughs> seen alive, in theaters on June 3rd. And then keeping on track with that also arriving on june 3rd is the latest bruce willis geezer teaser white elephant but there's a few things that separate this one from the usual lot 
Uh, the first thing is that it's a double geezer teaser because it has John Malkovich as well. Wow. The second is that it's directed by Jesse V. Johnson, who's actually one of the premier DTV action directors right now. So the set pieces should at least be well done. And the third is that while the geezers are indeed merely teasers, it's a buddy action movie starring Michael Rooker and Olga Kurilenko. Oh, so wow. hopefully that'll be a step up from the yeah. more recent ones. Oh, yeah. And then on June 3rd as well, host director Rob Savage's next film, Dash Cam, is hitting day and date on, in theaters and on VOD. And Neon has finally offered up some um, dates for David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future. It'll open in New York City and L.A. theaters on June 3rd before expanding wide on June 10th. Not exactly sure how wide right now, but hopefully it'll be wide enough for me to see it down in my neck of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are uh, we are beating the bushes as we speak trying to get a chance to see it early. So uh, I don't know. I bet. There's a Jennifer Lopez career spanning documentary called Halftime that will hit Netflix on June 14th. And Netflix is also premiering Joseph Kaczynski's sci-fi action film Spiderhead on June 17th. Mountain stars Chris Hemsworth, Miles Teller, and Journey Smollett. On June 24th, IFC is dishing out a limited theatrical run for um, for Burr and Sound Studio and in fabric director Peter Strickland's new film, Flux yeah. Gourmet. Yeah. Another Excited. big one to look yeah. forward to. <laughs> Fox's Joey King starring action drama The Princess is hitting Hulu on July 1st. There's some big movements going on around August 5th. Um, Sony has postponed the release of the Brad Pitt action comedy Bullet Train by one week to August 5th. Hmm. Up until recently, that was a pretty quiet date, but that is not so anymore. So in addition to Bullet Train on August 5th, we're also getting A24 slasher film Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Oh, yeah. And Blumhouse and Universal is releasing their Kevin Bacon starring gay conversion camp slasher film They Slash Them on that date as well. Wow, I'm busy. And <laughs> on straight to Hulu, Disney is releasing Prey, which is a period piece coming of age action film from the director of 10 Cloverfield Lane, about two young Comanche warriors, a brother and a sister who are facing insurmountable odds as they prove themselves to their tribe while taking on a powerful adversary. What is the adversary? It's a predator. Prey is Predator 5. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. all of that on August 5th. Wow. wow. So mark your calendars and don't plan anything that weekend. <laughs> I guess not. All right, good enough. You can always catch up with The Schlocketeer for the latest news tidbits. So you can always find him at The Schlocketeer on socials. Thank you much. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a lot of stuff cooking. A lot of stuff cooking. Looking ahead to next week, we got a big one cooking. After many, many postponements, Top Gun Maverick arrives. And boy, I tell you what, that's getting some good early buzz. It really is. As, as you said, which is funny because if you look back, we don't, you know, not to dive into revisionist history, but uh, the first one wasn't received that well. No, it was very popular. It yes, sold a lot popular. of tickets, but critics hated it. But so far, they do not hate this one. So we'll see. Top Gun Maverick arrives next week. Also, the Bob's Burgers movie. Yeah, that just continues this theme of movies <laughs> based on shows we never watched. <laughs> So we'll see how we like that. Also, Dinner in America. Punk rock. Woohoo! The Montana Story. A Taste of Whale. And Mondo Cane. Now, see, that makes me laugh because there's a song in the Chip and Dale movie about not eating yes, whale. Yes, there is. <laughs> <laughs> see? The Chip and Dale movie made us laugh. Uh, yeah, Mondo Cane. Wow. We'll see about that because that brings up memories. Um, all that next week. But until then... Let us know what you thought about anything this week. And if you want to ask about our movie, because we'll just get back to that very quickly. <laughs> we were gone the last two weeks making our movie Obstacle Corpse. 
that Hope wrote and directed, and it was 12 straight days of shooting. Man, we have obviously had respect for filmmakers for quite a long time, especially independent filmmakers. We have even more now. Oh, we do. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I can't even tell you how collaborative the effort was with producers, yourself included, and with the crew. What a great crew we what had. What a great crew. And what a really talented cast. Like, such a great cast. Right. I'm so excited to get a chance to see a print. Our editor is already working on it right now. I'm so, I'm so excited to get a chance to share this with people. I even got to jump into the cast. We That's had right. a few... Things happen, a few bumps in the road, as happens on independent film sets, as most film sets, really. A few actors had to drop out, so I jumped into a, did. a small role, which is bloody. It's a bloody role. And it's I a had bloody role. doing it. You did a very good job well, as Angry Man. <laughs> so thank you very much. So, yeah, it's called Obstacle Corpse. You can follow us on socials. If you, uh, if you already follow us on our normal socials, of course, we share a lot. But it's got its own accounts as well under Obstacle Corpse and Obstacle Corpse Film. Mm-hmm. Now you can follow up the progress because we're posting all the time. And we're looking forward to hopefully an early fall, at least early fall release for film festivals. And then who knows? So we'll, we'll let you know. But you can follow that journey. You can always follow us on the main website, which is madwolf.com. You can follow us on Twitter, where we love to uh, get your reactions to all the movies that we've talked about here, and that is at Mad Wolf. And actually on Facebook and Instagram, the main accounts are Mad Wolf Columbus. And as we said, Obstacle Corpse and Obstacle Corpse Film uh, has its own. So love to uh, keep in contact with you, and you can follow our journey as new filmmakers. We'll see how that turns out. But until next week, keep in touch if you can, and we're glad to be back. Thanks for listening. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.